Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, what's up? Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Everyone throw up your gang signs. What? <laughs> I don't know. You're, you're going off script, so am I. I just greeted them warmly. You're talking about throwing up our gang signs. I don't think I could even if I tried. <laughs> do, you, do you not have a gang sign? I don't. We talked about boots yesterday. Like, I grew up in the boots-wearing culture. Uh, I didn't, they don't have a gang sign for boots? Um, No. No. Do you guys um, have, like, a, an affiliation, a name? Just a, Nope. The Preppy Boys? Probably. I mean, that was probably close to it. Yeah. <laughs> To my shame. Yeah. <laughs> to be clear, I'm not in a gang either. So I, I wouldn't know what to throw up. We're in the gang of Jesus. We follow the Jesus gang. Anyways, that's horrible. Hey, yeah, it's a new week. Well, new work week, at least. That's and, right. Uh, it's exciting to think about what this week is going to hold for us. Because this week is a stewardship that God has entrusted to us to live for him. And we just talked about it with the end of Acts chapter 28 yesterday, but we've got a mission. that So we know one thing that God has on our to-do list that, this week, and that's to be ambassadors for Christ. That's right. And so that's going to be, uh, that's exciting, right? I mean, think about that. God could have somebody in mind for you this week that you might meet, and your conversation with that person could end up causing that them to, to change their eternal fate from hell to heaven crazy i mean in our perspective in in god's perspective not necessarily but in our perspective yeah and that's that's awesome and we get to be a part of that and so that's cool to uh to think about and and hopefully we're praying towards that end too right we should be praying for evangelistic opportunities and so uh, hopefully we're doing that well let's get into psalms because we've got a lot coming in romans i think and we do want to honor people's time on this podcast so Let's get into Psalm 62. You're already anticipating that. We're not going to be able to land the plane on Romans very easily or quickly. Romans. All right, guys, buckle up. This is going to be one of our very first over two hour long podcasts. Pastor PJ just warned you. He didn't say those words, but if you're reading between the lines. Well, we're going to read the whole book of Romans together first. (laughs) So we get some context. Of course. And start our game. Makes perfect sense. Hey, uh, Psalm 62. We have another superscription telling us this is David. And I love this one because of his, just the, the declaration of the exclusivity of his confidence in God. I don't know if you noted, but I, I circled how many times he references God alone. Verse one, God alone. Verse two, he alone. Verse five, God alone. He's just saying, verse six, he only. There's, there's a no doubt in David's mind who is his hope and who is the one that he can trust for deliverance. And that's what he does in this psalm. He declares his full trust in God alone for ultimate deliverance. But notice in verse one, he states it. He says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. It's this indicative statement. He's just saying this is true. But then notice down in verse five, David's now preaching to himself that same concept. And I think that's informative for us. He says, for God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence. Yeah, I do this thing. And that's helpful because sometimes doctrine is one of those things that we nod along with when we're in the church service, but then when we are in the Monday through Saturday of our lives and and it gets difficult, we're going to need to do what he does in verse five. We're going to need to preach that same doctrine that we were nodding along with when the preacher was preaching on Sunday morning. We're going to have to preach that to ourselves the rest of the week because it's one thing to believe it in the pew and another thing to believe it when you're 
at work and facing a, a difficult situation or a difficult marriage at home, or you've got rebellious kids and, and you've got to remember those same things that were true about God when you were agreeing with them on Sunday are still true. Even when you're in the midst of the, the valley, in the midst of the, the trial. Some books will suggest that silence is actually one of the spiritual disciplines, that to be in God's presence in silence is something that we should practice and do. Where do you stand on that, Pastor PJ? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I think we can cross a line into some mysticism there if uh, if we're not careful, but I, I do think it's helpful to uh, to, to pray. to and, and I think that in concert with our time in the Word, right? To And that's part of mm-hmm. meditation, I think, is yeah. to read and then marinate on it sit back in silence mm. and let the thoughts that you just read about God turn over in your mind. And that's going to be the way that, that God quote unquote speaks to us, I think is as the word and as the spirit takes the word and applies the word to our lives in those situations. I, I don't personally expect that when I'm silent, I'm going to hear an audible voice from God speaking to me. I don't think that that's how he works in this current dispensation for the church, but I mm. do believe he speaks to us through the scriptures primarily as his main means of speaking to us. So that's probably the biggest difference between what we're looking at here and what you might hear from a Hindu or a, a yoga teacher. You're sitting in silence and you're trying to empty your mind of all thought and activity. We're here, uh, Pastor PJ suggests, and, and I think even scripture will, will affirm this, when we're waiting in silence, we're not trying to empty our minds. We're trying to fill it with the truth of God's word and to reflect, meditate, and to let that change our thinking and even change the way that we're feeling in those moments. Right. And and that's that's popular today, this mindfulness, right? Your Apple Watch has an app on it that's built for mindfulness. Your phone yeah, has breathe. Yeah, different kinds of, of apps that you can download for mindfulness. It's been practiced in a lot of schools today with, with our kids as well. Is that a wrong thing? I guess let's let's talk about that for a sec. Is that a bad thing, mindfulness? Well, I, I think we've got to, I think the distinction that you just made is, is key there. I don't think we can Christianize it by saying, yeah, it's a good thing for us to just try to empty our mind of all of our thought and just get rid of all of it and, and reach some sort of, you know, blissful state of meditation by, by just existing. I don't think we're ever called by God just to be in the state of, of, of neutral existence, right? Which does come from, from Eastern pantheistic monism and, and the mystical religions that are, are out there. I I think there's a way that you can, is it wrong to practice breathing exercises as a a Christian? Yes. No. Oh, right. No, no, if (laughs) it's, it's not a bad thing to learn to calm yourself down and maybe breathing plays a part in that. And maybe use an app that helps you with that. But it's towards what end? It's to the end of getting yourself in a place where you in a more, maybe in a more calm demeanor can think about what you need to think about and to fill your mind with the things that you need to fill your mind with. So if we're talking about mindfulness from the state of the world, which is let me just empty my mind of all my stress, all my worry, all my anxieties, get you know all the, the, the bad vibes out, that's not a biblical concept. We need to be filling our mind with, with God's truth. So some of the most, po- most popular apps are apps that like, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I can't even think of the Calm. names off the top of my head. Calm or uh, headspace. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will. So breathing's a part of it, but then they'll have you do things where it's like, oh, okay, feel your body. Uh, where do you have tension? Where, 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 where are you sore or stiff? That kind of thing. Um, I think those things are dangerous because in and of themselves to to do a body scan, as they call it, isn't necessarily a bad thing. There's nothing ungodly or unchristian about it. 
But it's it's the stuff that they talk about additionally in on top of that, the worldview that they import into that practice that becomes really problematic for the Christian. Yeah. So I do think you're right, Pastor PJ. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us we can't breathe or think and just kind of say, okay, how am I doing today? There's nothing right. wrong with that. Right. But again, be very, very cautious about the worldview that you're imbibing and ingesting, perhaps unawares. That's where it gets dangerous. Yeah, and, and to connect it even back to Psalm 62, look at verse eight. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And so as the world has taken on this idea of like, how can I get rid of the stress in my life? How can I get rid of the anxiety in my life? How can I get rid of my my pains and things like that? Well, I need to do this emptying of it. God here in Psalm 62, 8 through David says, go to him. Go to him. Mm-hmm. Bring your anxieties. Bring your concerns. Bring your fears to him. Bring your sorrows. Bring your 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 stress. Bring your your concerns and lay them before him. And we can turn to him instead of turning to what our new age friend says that we should be doing them or money, trusting anything else besides him. That's the foolish right. decision to make. Right. Don't trust anything, but him alone. Yeah. Well, Psalm 63, we get a Psalm of David. It says when he was oh, in the I wilderness of Judah, the wilderness of Judah. Now, if you've been to the wilderness of Judah, it, it looks a whole lot uh, like the wilderness of, uh, the Inland Empire, like uh, the wilderness of Arizona, like there's just not a lot there. It's not it's not pretty wilderness. And so when it says this, don't think like the wilds of the Ozark Mountains where you've got these lush green trees and flowing rivers and things. It, it's a it's kind of a barren wasteland. Mm. And that's that informs some of the content of what David prays here in this psalm. When he says, earnestly, I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I think this psalm is so cool because... David's reflecting his physical needs because he probably felt some of these things in in like He was running. literally thirsty. Right. Like, I'm thirsty. And it's driving him to pray and 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 focus even more so on the fact that he has a, a thirst for God. Um, that his flesh feels weak, probably physically, mm-hmm. but his flesh also feels weak because he wants more of God. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's where he was when he was writing this. Um, even down in, in verse four, in verse five, and we'll, we'll back up. I know there's one that Pastor Rod, you're probably looking to, to get to there in verse three, but in verse five, he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you like with joyful one. lips. Yeah, that's good. Uh, but think about where he's at. He doesn't have any fat and rich food anywhere near him right now. Mm. He's in the wilderness. He's eating like prairie dogs. <laughs> like <Gross>. he's, <laughs> and yet he's longing to be satisfied and knows that he can be satisfied in God, even as though he were sitting in the King's palace, eating the finest of foods at that point. And that's again, when we understand the context, it helps us even greater to a greater degree, appreciate the content. Are you trying to plug our upcoming Israel trip? Is, this, I, is that what you're dude, doing? I can't wait. We've said that. Can before, you give me the date? What's the date? Tell the t- date right tomorrow. Now. We're leaving tomorrow. So tomorrow. pack your bags, <laughs> leaving on a jet plane. Yeah. Verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I mean, yeah. that, that's, that, I think that's the echo of every true Christian's heart. We, we know him. We love him. We want to praise him. His love is better than life. We, in fact, you like wearing a t-shirt, Pastor PJ. You might see him wearing it. It's one of our old school shirts from our, our sending church, but it says better than life on yep. the front of it. Yep. And that's exactly what we intend to communicate. Uh, Christianity is not a, a mere religions of, of religion of do's and don'ts and God wants this and not that. It's the religion of pleasure and joy and deep satisfaction. And we're saying that the greatest joy, the greatest pleasure, the greatest satisfaction can only be found in his love, which is better than life itself. 
We just talked about in verse 62 or in verse 62 in chapter 62, the concept of meditation. Look at verse six. When I remember you on my bed. So he's calling to mind. He's filling his mind with thoughts about God. And then he says, and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So there you have it with David. What was meditation for David? Yeah. Yeah. He was remembering God. Chewing the cud. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, just an encouraging, encouraging Psalm uh, for us of satisfaction in God, in God. Uh, Psalm 64, uh, to sum this one up, again, a Psalm of David, it's a David saying, God is going to deliver the righteous and punish the wicked. And again, this is a, a common theme that we've seen in the Psalms, but David is again uh, asserting that this is true. And we got to remember, we're reading these rapid fire in succession, but these are Psalms that arose out of unique circumstances throughout David's life. Mm-hmm. And so I think the thing that's encouraging to me is David was was faithful to remind himself of what was true in the midst of trying circumstances. Really liked verse, the second half of verse one, preserve my life from the dread of the enemy. Uh, one commentator noticed that David's prayer is that he asked to be preserved not from uh, from the enemy themselves, but from the fear of the enemy. And that's a really helpful insight because I think that's really where the struggle for most of us is. And again, oftentimes God doesn't intend to remove us from the situation, but to lead us through it. And in this case, whether we're afraid of an enemy or afraid of not having enough money or afraid of whatever, we, we need to know that what we should be praying for is the delivery from the fear itself and from fear to faith. Well, let's get into Romans, shall we? I know you've been waiting for it. Here we go. Romans. We got plenty of time. Here we go. Let's do this. Romans chapter one. Uh, just to, to reiterate what we were talking about uh, at the end of the last episode, as Pastor Rod said, this is backing up probably mid-50s AD, and uh, we think that this was most likely written from Corinth uh, by Paul. In fact, if you go to Romans 16.3, I believe it is, that he mentions a guy named Gaius, and Gaius was referenced in Corinth in the letter to the Corinthians as well. So. Mm. I, we, that's one of the reasons, as well as some others, that we believe that, that Paul was writing this letter to the, the believers in Rome while he was in Corinth. And remember, he had said back in Acts chapter 19 that he desired to get to Rome. And so this is a letter that's birthed out of that desire. Not knowing if he would be able to make it, Paul's writing out a lot of probably what he was arguing, as we just read about in Acts chapter 28. And it's brilliant. In this letter. Yeah. It's one of the it it feels like cheating because it's the inspired word of God, but it is the greatest one of the most inspired. Yeah. It's the greatest (laughs) example of a, of a soteriology, which is a big word that means the study of salvation. And I think it's, it's that it's the study of sanctification as well. It's just, it's such a good treatment of some key systematic theology issues there. And, and just kind of a broad way to think about the book, chapters 1 through 11, you really deal with a lot of theology. Mm-hmm. And then 12 through 15, Paul gets into some of the ethical implications of that theology. Yeah, a lot, a lot. Especially in, in chapter 12, church life, body life. So we'll get into those things um, when we get to those chapters. Themes of the book of Romans. The, the two main themes are righteousness and salvation. Um, there's a lot of sub themes contained within that, but the theme verse, and we're going to get to right here in chapter one, verses 16 and 17. Um, but, uh, this is a book that's about salvation. What is it? In in other words, Paul was thinking, if I'm never going to get to Rome, what do they need to know? What do I want them to know about Jesus? And so this is so cool because this, when it, when we just read in the book of Acts so many times, he was reasoning with them in the temples and, and trying to persuade them to follow Jesus. I think a lot of that is what we have in Romans. I think if we had a video camera on Paul at that time, video camera, because those are the thing anymore. Mm. Nobody used, if somebody had their phone out and was, <laughs> was filming 
Uh, Paul, I, I think you'd get a lot of the content that we find here in Romans. Romans chapter one, he uh, greets the church and we're getting into the epistolary literature now. So an epistle is a letter. And so when we talk about the epistolary literature, it's it's the letters of the New Testament. And so we're, we're kind of there now until the end. I mean, Revelation um, is uh, is not necessarily an epistle, although it, there are epistles contained within the, the letter uh, or the, the book of Revelation there. But the others are pretty much epistles. How does the genre of epistolary literature influence how we interpret and understand the letter? Yeah, it's it's much more of an instructional um, uh, genre. It, it, it's We would call it didactic. There's a lot more teaching within these letters. And so we're looking for the... Uh, there's going to be indicatives contained in there, but there's also going to be imperatives now, whereas in the, the narrative literature of the, the Gospels and Acts, um, it was more recording, here's what took place. And yes, in the Gospels, there were some of Jesus's teaching and preaching that took place that, that we saw some similar things, but the, the letters are written from the apostles to the churches, and they're written for a purpose to, to either correct problems or to encourage uh, further progress in certain areas. And as we read it as the church today, we're reading it for those purposes as well. Yeah, and I think this is why a lot of people like epistles, because they're so easily applicable. And yet the danger is that you might forget or downplay some of the contextual clues and some of the surrounding circumstances that influence how you understand what's being said. Romans is a, is a notoriously rich book, and there's so much, which is why I'm afraid to go through this with Pastor PJ, because we're never going <laughs> to stop this podcast. But just know, as you work your way through it, a lot of stuff's pretty bottom shelf, lots of application almost immediately available to you. But don't forget to do the grammatical historical work of knowing, okay, what's Paul saying? What's the context in which he's saying it? How would the original audience have understood it? So a lot of the same principles apply, uh, but this book especially will reward you greatly for doing the heavy lifting. Exactly. And that's that's a general principle of hermeneutics, right? Because Paul wrote this to essentially two audiences. He wrote it to the original audience and he wrote to a specific people and a specific time facing specific issues. And right. those are being addressed in not only this letter, but also the other letters. But then he also, under the, the, the guidance of the spirit, wrote it to the broader audience, which is the church at large. And that's us. And so there are transcendent, always true principles that we can pull out and, and apply, but it can never mean today what it never meant at that point. And mm. so we need to make sure that we're interpreting it in light of the original context as well. Amen. Let's do this. So Paul greets it, us with this statement, Paul, a servant, or you could read slave of Christ Jesus. Now, this is not chattel slavery. This is not the slavery of the 1800s. This was a, a bond servant. This is one who uh, oftentimes was, was willingly putting themselves in subjection into a, a slave master relationship with someone else. Um, and it's a, a possible callback even here in this opening line to Deuteronomy 34, 5, where Moses was referred to as the servant of Yahweh. And so there are some that have said when Paul's greeting uh, everybody is that he is the servant of Christ Jesus, that there's contained within there a statement of Christ's divinity by calling mm. back to Moses even as the servant of Yahweh. In this introduction, he continues on and gives us right off the bat, what is this going to be about? He says, this is going to be about Jesus concerning Jesus, the son of God descended from David according to the flesh, declared to be the son of God in power. And notice here what Paul's focus is on. We talked about it in the book of Acts and here it is again. He's declared to be the son of God in power according to what? The resurrection, right? And so Paul still is hung up on and rightly so the resurrection, that that's the reason why this matters. That's the reason why all of this is significant for even those that are in Rome that he's writing to here. 
he continues on in uh, the center section here, uh, verses eight and following, and he's he's writing the personal side. We just mentioned that this is written to a specific group of people, and here Paul's writing to them. And he's saying, I'm thanking God for all of you, even though he didn't know them because he had never met them personally. He had heard of them. So he's thanking God for them. He's praying for them. He wa- tells them, look, I want to visit you. Remember Acts 19. And he says that, uh, that I, I, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, verse 15 there. We know because we just read Acts 28 that he's going to have that opportunity as well. Why is he preaching the gospel to Christians, bro? It's like, don't they already know it? Why is he ask? Why is he? Why is he wanting to preach the gospel to Christians? I I don't know that this is an entirely Christian audience that he's got here. Okay, with him, and so I think there's okay. a, a mixed audience there, and then also the church in its infancy. I think Paul felt an obligation to make sure that people understood accurately what was going on. Remember again, the Gentiles. Remember in the Book of Acts, there were times that Paul would show up, and there would be the group of quote unquote professing believers there who had never even had the Spirit it given to them because. God was doing something in that dispensation to demonstrate that the Gentiles were acceptable even. Or you think of um, uh, Apollos, who was zealous for the Lord and yet needed to be pulled aside by Priscilla and Aquila and taught the the deeper things of the Lord so that he could be more accurate in his zeal and in, in his preaching. What were your thoughts on it? I don't know. That I, well, okay. I, I would only add one thing. And I think that the, the gospel has endless riches to explore and discover such that no Christian ever graduates from its implications and its truth. Also true. And no Christian would ever say, man, I, I've heard the gospel enough. It's it's passe now. I've graduated. Uh, give me something different. Give me more meat. And I would say that one of the things I've learned in my Christian life, Pastor PG, please comment on this. The older I get, the more mature I get, the more I realize the basics are not, you don't, you don't leave those. Mm. The basics are so important and so necessary and important for us to realize that we need the gospel every day. We need the gospel applied. We need the gospel preached to us because we're so forgetful and we're so easily distracted by other things. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the the, the statement that's been uttered a hundred times, and I, I don't know who was the first one to say it, but preach the gospel daily to yourself. I, I think that was me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you go. Probably Pastor the first one. Quote, Pastor <laughs> <laughs> But I think there's there's good there's good reason to do that. And when we read in Hebrews, when the writer says there, though by now you should be teachers, you have need of, of, of milk. He said, we need to leave behind the elementary doctrines. He's not saying that we graduate from the gospel. He's right. He's not saying move past that. He's saying we need to mature in our faith. We need to not just continually go back and relay the foundation of faith and repentance again and go back and feel like you need to be saved again because you've been saved. Now it's time to live in light of the gospel. Right. But we need the gospel to come with us. Verse 16 and 17, here's the theme verses. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 17 answers the why. If if 16 establishes that the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, 17 tells us why. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. Mm. So there Paul says, Love that. the reason why the gospel is the power of God is because in it is the, the message of the righteousness of God. And that righteousness is ours by faith. That's right. By faith. The rest of chapter one, he begins to, to really get into the meat of his argument that he's going to develop in chapter one and chapter two, chapter three. And then it's going to begin to pivot some in chapter four, but he begins to indict uh, or provide rather God's indictment for all of mankind. And that's everybody. the rest of chapter one. He's burning everybody. Right. He has the line there that, that mankind by, by their own will and their own unrighteousness suppress the truth that can be known about God. Mm. So we, we see his evidence in creation as he says there, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
it goes on and, and he builds his indictment, his charge against them. He says, though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 22. Verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man and birds and animals and creeping things. And then here's the, the ultimate charge in verse 25, I think. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And here's the, the key word here. Worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Humanity's problem, the indictment that God has against mankind is chiefly a worship problem. Mm. In fact, all sin starts with a worship problem. Mm. It starts with our desires and our, uh, our affections being shifted from the, the object of worship that should meet them and that should satisfy them and being affixed to other things that God never intended to, to be their source of satisfaction. What does it mean that verse 19 says that what can be known about God is plain to everybody? How has how God made his his nature, his personhood, obvious to everybody. Yeah. Well, a sunset's never saved anyone, but there's plenty of evidence in creation. And I think even more so, and I think we're heaping more guilt potentially on us, the more scientific development progresses out there. And we'd learn more and more, for instance, about the fine-tuned nature of the force of gravity. And if it was varied by you know one degree or another, we would either be crushed or we would float off into outer space. Things like that. I mean, mm. you see that this is a universe of order. You see that God is a God of beauty. You see a new life come into the world. And God is testifying through all of those things that, that he is there, that something greater than us exists out there that made everything. And that's why you go into a lot of these, because everybody wants to bring up the, the what about this, this tribe in the middle of the jungle that's right. never heard. And yet so many times you'll go there and there's some concept of something, a force, a, a God, a, they're a, worshipers a for ruler, sure. a higher power. Right. They're, they're worshiping because we're created to worship. It's part of, of how God wired, designed all of us. And a lot of times they will affix their worship incorrectly so to creation rather than to the creator, which is the, the main indictment here. So in doing that, we're able to effectively make ourselves our own gods or make something else a god so that we can just follow our own passions and pursuits. Right, right. We need to touch on it because it's here and it's important for us, especially in this culture, but just heads up for parents on what comes next. This is a, a, a important thing for us when we deal with human sexuality here, but it it's, I mean, Paul gets not overly graphic here, not inappropriately so, but he, he's plain. And I was just reading an article about this recently because the world today wants to make this, wants to soften this and say, well, this was just out of control uh, passions that men had for men or women had for women, mm. that this was not um, a, a, a committed monogamous relationship between two people of the same sex. And the, the author of this article pushed back and said, that's not true because there were plenty of examples of same-sex marriages even during Paul's day. Right. So it's not as though same-sex marriage is a brand new thing that we've introduced and we're so advanced and now it's it's okay somehow. Uh, Paul's plain here. It's unnatural when, when he describes about women exchanging their relationships for others and men the same way. And that is one of the indictments that God has against humanity. It's one that's continued. And it's kind of that chief example of exchanging the worship of God for the worship of ourselves, because it's the, the worship of that, which is most like yourself, which is someone of the same sex there. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, this is continuing to unpack the main problem, which is a worship problem with humanity. And he ends there in verse 32, though they in, even indicting others that, that weren't necessarily directly participating in these things. He says, look, but, but even those that weren't practicing these things, they were giving approval to them. And man, if we don't see that in our culture today, 
And so this is the, Paul's setting up the bad news in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, before he'll pivot really in chapter four and begin to get to the good news. Okay. I know this is really long, but please indulge this. So we, you have a gay son, a gay daughter, a gay brother, sister, et cetera, someone who identifies as that, that's their lifestyle. Um, how do we, I mean, how do we think about that person? How, how do we talk to them? How do we love them with all of this in mind? Yeah, we, we love them, but we don't apologize for what God's word says, right? And uh, it wasn't a family member, but it was someone that, that my wife and I got to know back in California and uh, was someone in a lifestyle that was like this. And we began to, to meet with her and talk with her. And from the word go, we're very upfront and clear about, you know, this is what the Bible says about about your life right. and about what you're doing. And we, we delivered it in a loving way, but we, she knew where we stood and where the Bible stood on that. And we said, we want to talk to you. We want to talk to you about this. We want to answer your questions. We want to walk through your journey with this. And she kept coming back and kept having questions. So I think there's a sense in which we as Christians feel like, well, if we say what God's word says, we're never going to gain a hearing with them mm-hmm. for the rest of our, our, our time with them. And so we have to soften it or couch it or compromise on it in order to gain that that trust and that confidence for them to listen to us tell them about the gospel and listen you don't have to do that love them but don't compromise on what the bible actually says either amen to that yeah one of the most dangerous things that we could warn you about right now is that there are lots of affirming so-called affirming churches out there that will take romans chapter one and do exactly what pastor pj just combated and they'll try to explain it away and soften the blow so that it does not appear to say what it clearly says do not be deceived. Let the word of God speak to you. It's evident. You don't have to apologize for it. This is what God says. And we don't do this with any other sin. Well, you know, if you're if you're really angry, then it's okay to murder somebody because it was in your heart. And that's You're just being true and authentic to who you are. Right. We do this for nothing else. Right. So please don't feel pressured by the culture to abdicate your role as a, as a truth speaker, as a truth holder, as a truth protector even. Uh, let God's word do the work. Unleash the word of God to do the work of God. He's faithful. He'll do it. Well, hey, thanks for sticking with us for our longest episode yet. Uh, but not, I don't know, man, this week, I feel like Romans. We're yet. Romans. I said yet. Okay. I said our longest episode yet. Today. Yeah. We'll catch you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Maybe not as long though. See you then. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.